0: Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike panel with uh, Katie Arline, and welcome back to another episode of Hire the Smile, episode number 10. Hey, Katie, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Mike. Not too bad. Thanks. Lovely. Uh, we're enjoying very unseasonably high temperatures here in Southern Ontario recently, so that's glorious for sure.
0: I was out in shorts yesterday. It is the middle of November, and uh, yeah, it was in those low 20s Celsius. Awesome.
1: I you know, it was warmer than at our client's place uh, near Monterey, California. So I gloated no about kidding. that for a little bit to myself. Yeah. We'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> see what happens in no. a week, but yeah, for now, exactly. we're warmer. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll take advantage of it. So, hey, we got some interesting articles uh, to discuss. Our podcast related to all things related to human resources in the vet profession and probably any profession. Our theme, I guess, this week is leadership management in terms of I'm almost sick of people saying in these challenging times, because I've been reading a, uh, I was reading a really good business book lately and it was like written 10, 15 years ago. And I was like, in these challenging times, so it's just like, life is challenging, so let's just, yeah. so, but I would say Not to say it, that this is an
1: extraordinarily challenging, unprecedented, perhaps.
0: unprecedented, but yes, we're all challenging. But I found a really good article in uh, uh latest issue of the Harvard business review written by one of the, I guess, great thought leaders about creating safe environments at work, psychological safety, she calls it, Amy Mm -hmm. C. Edmondson. And the article is Today's Leaders Need Vulnerability, Not Bravado. I was reading it. I'm like, this is not just like leaders. I'm talking about, let's, let's clarify what a leader is. I would think anybody that has any influence on anybody else in a practice. So whether you're a manager, whether you're a head tech, whether you're doing inventory, whether you're the head receptionist, I think it's when people are reporting to you or you have influence, these articles would apply. Is that definition fair, Katie, or how would you want to expand that?
1: I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about um, small L leaders who influence other people and who set an example and who you know are quite engaged and people look to for guidance, even if they're not, you know, a quote unquote, big L leader or a manager or something like that. So yes, it could be anybody really, really any human.
0: Basically. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want anybody to be listening to us and go, well, I don't own the practice. So I'm not a leader or I'm not a manager. I'm not the leader, but we're all leaders, as you said. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, she starts off saying, you know, there's the biggest myth in leadership is that, you know, you have to be tough and confident But you know, what this pandemic has shown is those that come across as tough and confident often are the ones that have the best performance. And, you know, she mentioned some politicians that, you know, dismissed the virus. As she said, displayed fearless bravado and undermined calls Mm -hmm. to wear a mask. And I'm not just talking about America, but there's other places too. Really Put others at risk while uh, those like uh, Angela Merkel, Jacinda Arden, Santa Maren uh, Finland, New Zealand, and Germany, respectively, you know, went to data, were really careful, were very honest. And those countries have done quite well with the pandemic. You know, what she's saying in her argument is that these, you know, in this complex and uncertain world, she doesn't use challenging times. Mm. You know, <laughs> you need any leader needs to be on the learning curve and has to be agile. And the common thread on all of them is they embrace truth. And they want to understand reality rather than just being right. And they're not afraid to accept that they're wrong. And which allows them to accept criticism. So, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she gives some good examples of other corporate leaders that have been very vulnerable, have been able to do big shifts when the companies are really challenged. But she has some really good suggestions, and those are the ones I want to go over. Um, number one is, as I said, start by telling the truth. It's not being brave. It's not being a leader by ignoring the truth. I mean, we, we just we can't ignore the truth. And the, as we have learned with the COVID, the virus really doesn't care anything about political preferences or business uh, uh, economic survival. I mean, it is what it is, and it's immune to anything else other than the truth of it. So accept the truth. The one I like a lot on this one, because it reminds me of of several of our clients, and I I say that in terms of, you know, kudos to them to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, leadership is not heroic. It's, you know, it's about acknowledging and realizing your vulnerabilities, what you don't know, when you need help and asking help, whether it's outsiders or within the organization, it really will help others be more committed to you. And I think this is where we got to get around from. It's okay to be vulnerable to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think people actually welcome that more. What is your insight on that in terms of the, uh, some of our clients or the people that you've been working with in practices?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. You know, I'm thinking of people who don't ask for help, and not necessarily with any clients we have right now. But you know, having leaders who bury their head in the sand or they don't tell the entire picture of what's going on yep. for whatever reason. And it really makes it difficult for the staff to cope in these uh, challenging <laughs> challenging times or any times. I mean, times are challenging all the time, but you know, it's, it's hard for them because it, people are trying to get a hold of what's going on and what it means for them. And when they don't have all the information and in the absence of information, they're going to Make up stories, yep. and uh, it's just so damaging and so harmful, and it can be hard to come back from that as well.
0: And I've I've also thought I could think of going back several years, but I, you know, we've we're, we've worked with some clients, or this has happened to me personally, and I thought it was just me, but then I've seen it in other places, is where, you know, you go to an organization or you go in front of all your staff and say, "Hey, we need some help. It's not working the way we wanted to. Uh, we've brought in some experts." Uh, We've brought in some outsiders and you can just see the, the faces of the people that work for you and the people that have worked for these other people, just like, ah, finally you're seeing the light and the fact that yeah. they're being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I don't know it all. And we need some help. The sympathy and the support to the owners of, or the leaders of the practice, it's, it's palpable. You can almost see the shift. People are so relieved Definitely. that, you know, you want help.
1: hmm well, and recognizing that you're not perfect and that you're you might not be doing things the right way, I think that's huge for staff, for
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's ongoing. not it It's not just like, oh my God, it's the it's it's the COVID. How do I deal with it? It's just, hey, you know what? We're having a high turnover of staff. I don't know what's going mm-hmm. on. I need some help. You know, um, I'm not being able to communicate as well as I thought. I thought I was really doing a good job messaging. I'm not. We need some help. I, I think people appreciate that. Definitely. The other one she brings up is go outside your comfort zone. Um, And, you know, and you'll touch into this later on, but, you know, we fail to develop into really great leaders because we often will just sort of operate on autopilot. Uh, We self-perpetuate our habits and we repeat what has worked in the past. And, you know, what I like, she has a great line, is that playing to your own strengths can ultimately be a recipe for disaster. And I know we've had some discussions and I know uh, some of our Oculus courses, we've had discussions about situational leadership as brought forth by uh, Ken Blanchard in terms of, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday and that, you know, our teams are dynamic. People that work within our teams are dynamic. They, they will be changing in terms of their enthusiasm, their competency or their skills to do things as leaders, we need to change Mm -hmm. and we need to develop and suit our leadership style for the situation and i th- i see too often is that you know you know we many leaders have a very small toolkit and they just use the one technique so i think mm-hmm. getting outside your comfort zone and just like yeah you know what when somebody gets when things aren't going well i'm i'm a bad leader when somebody gets very uh, and we've seen this before somebody gets really uh, uh fragile emotionally fragile i don't know how to deal with it well this is where mm-hmm. we have to so learn <laughs> exactly yeah exactly <laughs>
1: yeah it, it reminds me of the carol dweck book that i think i mentioned in our last podcast mindset mm-hmm. and how people you think that you're static and this is as good as it gets for you uh and you know that's that fixed mindset that's not a growth mindset but once you say okay well i don't know something and that doesn't mean that i can never know it but i can figure out figure this out it just it opens things up so much and it really ties back to that asking for help when you need it as well Yeah, recognizing when you need help.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that ties in, you know, when you make a mistake, admit it, you apologize. And I I think, you know, people are smart, people can see through you, and they know when you've made a mistake. And I think when we try to bluster our way or pretend it didn't happen, you, you lose all credibility, like,
1: or make excuses and blame it on other people.
0: Yes, of course, let's blame it on other people. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, you are ultimately the leader. So, you know, the buck has to stop with you. So, so yeah, I, I really like that. And then the last one she talks about is, you know, involve others in your journey of self improvement. And I have found this to be really effective. I know talking with people, I lived it myself initially, saw how, how it learnt, worked. But I've also encouraged others is that, you know, when you get your reviews back and something comes up, that there's an area of improvement that's needed. It's really effective way to go to the everybody else and say, hey, I just got my review back and I'm a micromanager. I had no idea. And I don't want to be a micromanager, so I need your help. And so I want you, if I'm in a position of being a micromanager, I need you to tell me, but I know I, I need to prove it to you that you can tell it to me in a safe way that I'm not going to get upset. And yes. I have seen this happen time and time again. And what a benefit it's made to so many individuals when they just say, you know what, I, I thought I was doing a great job. And, and I don't think anybody's purposely trying to be, you know, a bad person. But when it's pointed out to them and they're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't recognize it in myself. I don't know I'm, when, when I'm exhibiting this behavior. And if they leave themselves open for the other person to go, you know, whatever, it's a code word or a, a debrief at the end of the day, whatever, boy, a lot of good things will happen.
1: Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, that feedback is just information and part of, you know, what we will talk about in a moment about emotional intelligence, but, you know, taking, removing your ego and removing your self from the situation and just looking at it really objectively. It's like, okay, well, this is feedback. I might not be intentionally doing this, but this is the effect that it's having on people. And I think that's the biggest stumbling block that we see, and the sort of biggest indicator of whether somebody's going to be successful or not is, okay, I, I own that I'm having this effect. I absolutely don't intend to. What do I need to do to fix it? Versus the people who just say, well, this is that's not me. That's not that's not what I'm trying to do. And it's like, well, this is the effect you're having, though. People aren't lying, you <laughs> know, they're not all ganging up on you. So uh, that can be an, it, that's a, a mind shift that really needs to happen for a lot of people. And I think that's a key for unlocking, you know, a, a journey of self-awareness and emotional intelligence for people.
0: Well, I think that's a great segue in, into the article that you found, because I think emotional intelligence is so important, so important. Totes. Okay.
1: So the article I chose is called Four Reasons Emotionally Intelligent Leaders Impact the Bottom Line. And it was from entrepreneur.com authored by Sarah Carolyn Sabin. So uh, basically what she is saying is, and this this keys back to uh, what we talked in the last podcast about trying to legitimize, you know, efforts of boosting employee engagement. This is kind of along the same lines. So the article basically talks about you know, being being able to be vulnerable, which is what you just talked about, is an aspect of self-awareness. But we also have overall emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is like a bundle of self-awareness, courage, ability to have crucial or difficult conversations, assertiveness and influence. It's a whole bundle of things. When people have high emotional intelligence, they're more self-aware. They have mastery of their own emotions, like what we were just talking about. The, you know They have more social awareness. They can adapt their communication style or their leadership style, like we just talked about. Um, they build relationships. So uh, the article talks about um, a couple of studies that were done with thousands and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people about predicting outcomes when people have high emotional intelligence versus when they don't really what they wanted to see is, well, how does this affect the bottom line? Like how does improving emotional intelligence improve profitability for the company? So there are a couple of uh, different ways that they're talking about here. So there's a really interesting, um, study that was done by a gentleman called Travis Bradbury and he is, uh, part of a company called talent smart. And they're like, basically their whole jam is worldwide high level, um, emotional intelligence training for corporations and for individuals. So they did a a study of emotional intelligence of personalities in the workplace. And what they found was there's a real correlation between emotional intelligence and high performance. So what they found was 90% of high performers are high in emotional intelligence. 20% of low performers are high in emotional intelligence. So it really shows you that there's a, a big difference between You know, performance uh, between those who are emotionally intelligent and who aren't, and you know, having a high performing leader, you're going to be a better quality leader. You're going to be able to get more out of your staff, and that's that's got a direct link to profitability. So that's the first one. Any thoughts on that one, Mike?
0: Yeah, you know, when you're bringing that up, because I can think of situations that I have seen when I have worked in practices. I've seen it visiting other practices where we have seen. And I know the answer to this, but I just think it's something we need to discuss is big billers. You know, they're vets that are big billers. They, you know, they're Mm -hmm. drivers of the business. Uh, Yet their emotional intelligence is probably less than that of a gerbils. And uh, I I have seen them, you know, throw things, scream things, yell at people, blame everybody. And I mean, it's just like they're a a walking monsoon. So how do we (laughs) balance the fact that these are high-performing veterinarians with the absolute absence of any emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah, that's interesting as you say that because I'm thinking, you know, what are their motivations? You know, it almost seems like the people who are really driven to build and they're driven to produce uh, in the absence of emotional intelligence, they want to keep it for themselves. It's almost more like an ego kind of a thing. Like I am a high performer come hell or high water, no matter what else happens around me. Uh, whereas if you have a high performer who's emotionally intelligent they can help other people become high performers but Mm -hmm. those siloed high performers that you're talking about tend to want to keep it all to themselves they're like a dragon sitting on like a pile of gold this is all mine and I'm i'm not sharing so i think that there's they could be high performers but then you have a cost um within the company like a a culture cost or, you know, a satisfaction cost from the rest of the staff because they're affected. So they, the other staff might say, you know, they might get yelled at for the last time by this vet and they say, you know, I'm out of here. I can't work with this person anymore and they're gone and that's expensive. So there are high costs to those high performers with low emotional intelligence.
0: I think adding to that is, I think we got to be very clear in our definition of what a high performer is. It just doesn't mean that you bill a lot and a no, high true. performer is, you know, a good leader brings up, as you said, elevates other, their actions benefit the company and they're not just sitting there like smog on their pile of gold and everybody else mm-hmm. just screw off. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, the second point, and this is sort of uh, an interesting one and I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are on this. So, the second point is that few leaders are high in emotional intelligence in senior leadership positions. So, uh, the same survey from Talent Smart found that emotional intelligence rises as people climb up the management ladder, but then it peaks at a manager level and it drops off significantly at the CEO position. CEOs with high emotional intelligence seem to be the exception. And it's funny because we read stories about wonderful CEOs and the things they do. And it's like, why is this exemplary or why is this amazing? Shouldn't they all be like this? It kind of got me thinking a little bit because you hear about Richard Branson's and the folks who are really leading these, these high performing teams, but shouldn't all CEOs be like that? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? They don't go into it in this, which is interesting.
0: I don't know if I have an answer to that, but I, w- I was thinking of that in terms of my, you know, uh, my own experience and, and, you know, working with my own practice in the past and uh, other practices is, in the past, not so much anymore, we have elevated people based on their competency, their ability to do a job, and emotional intelligence has not been something that we have considered. I was reading this article in advance of us recording this, and I just sort of thought back of positions that I have put others in to be elevated. And I was actually setting them up to fail because I don't think we spend enough time on their emotional intelligence aspect of it.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I, that's funny, you know, there are certain situations where, you know, you go into a clinic and there's a manager and they become a manager because they've been there for a long time and they're good at whatever their other job is, whether it's an RVT or a receptionist or, or whatever the case may be. And you're right, we don't necessarily give them the support or we just assume that they're going to be good at everything because they are good at the the job that they were promoted from. And we're doing, they might very well be, but we're doing them a disservice when we don't uh, support them and we don't ask what they need. We just kind of dump them in and say, perfect, you're managing. And then they're they're not necessarily successful.
0: And then they come to you in a few months and like, nobody likes me. And and then you get these reviews and you're like... Yeah. You know, we, that was a big element we missed. So that, that this, po- the second point you brought up really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Cause I, cause what I, cause I said that here, I highlighted that, you know, that, you know, this is a great opportunity for companies that, you know, if you're going to be developing these great next leaders, make sure that you can help them become more emotionally intelligent before you do anything else.
1: For sure. And that goes back to what we always talk about, you know, is checking in with people and taking an interest in their development and seeing how they're doing and getting feedback so that it's not like a year's gone by and everyone's like, oh, by the way, we really hate Sally. And you're like, what? A year's half? Like, what happened? And you don't know either. And she might be struggling, but she doesn't necessarily want to ask for help, going back to what you were talking about in the first article. Uh, you know, she, maybe she had been vulnerable in the past and she didn't, it didn't get handled well and whatever the situation is, you know, we need to check in and make sure that they're, they're doing well and they're, they have the resources they need to excel for sure.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh,
1: all right. So point number three, this is always, uh, interesting. So 80% of people with poor manager relationships are disengaged, Uh, And we talk about employee engagement in our last podcast. We talk about it all the time. Uh, And 50% of employees that left jobs left to get away from their manager, which is like a heartbreaker, really. And, you know, relaying this back or circling this back to the expense for the business, you know, turnover is so expensive. Having to replace employees is so expensive. You know, having a bad manager and trying to sort out the ramifications of that throughout the organization is so expensive. Mm -hmm you know, and and really, you can get a reputation for having a bad manager, and then nobody wants to come and work for you. You know, you can't recruit people, you can't retain people, it's just, uh, it's impossible to have, you know, you're not seen as an employer of choice. And particularly right now in veterinary medicine, it's impossible to find anybody at any level. Uh, so you know, you don't want to set yourself up for for failure. So it's important to, again, support your managers and and nurture that emotional intelligence journey. Uh, you know, we talk also about engaged employees performing at a higher level. They're more productive, you know, and that idea of safety, you know, which is what Amy Edmondson talks about a lot. You know, if the, the team feels safe, they feel like their manager has their back. They feel like their manager is fair. Uh, you know, they can grow. They're, they're more willing to grow. They're more willing to take chance, chances and improve. They're more willing to learn from their mistakes and be creative and productive. So no. there's a huge... A huge upside to this.
0: The comment I was going to make when I was reading about that 80% of employees of poor managers are disengaged and 50% of former employees left to get away from their manager. And every whenever you bring this up is, and people say, well, they just leave because we don't pay enough. And I think pay is important for sure. But I think it's an excuse. And a, a, it's an excuse because it's not always an excuse, but I think it's the reason people bring up because it's easier to say, I don't get paid enough than you're an asshole. You know, if you're doing, mm-hmm. you're doing an exit interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think this is a very underappreciated reason why we have poor staff morale and engagement.
1: Definitely. And going back to your article, when you have a manager who isn't modeling vulnerable behavior or tell me when I'm doing something wrong behavior, you know, their employees are never going to bring it up. So of course they're not going to say that that's the reason when they leave Mm -hmm. unless they, they're very, very disgruntled. They're like, okay, that's time to, take this train off the rails in my exit interview. And then it's way too late by that point. Uh, And this fourth one was an interesting one. I know you're the marketing brigade. So this could be interesting to hear your perspective as well. Uh, The fourth point is that highly emotionally intelligent managers know their customers. They're not really worried so much about what the competition is doing but they're seeing their customers on a human level and they're asking questions themselves directly of the clients, you know, what's working, what's not working, what do you want to see? Or they are very good about listening to the frontline workers input. So, you know, if you're uh, one of your receptionists comes to you and says, people are are very unhappy about uh, X, Y, Z, you know, if the wait times are very long and uh, they book an appointment and they're here for two hours in their car waiting because we're doing curbside. It's easy to say, oh, well, that's too bad. You should probably be better at scheduling. Like no listen to what your clients are saying mm-hmm. and find out why and not just be defensive or say, well, people are never happy. You know, and I liked the point about focusing on the human side of people as well. We rely a lot on technology and we rely on, you know, digital everything, but simply picking up the phone or meeting face to face with the mask, socially distance mm-hmm. and uh, talking to people. That's really how you get to know your customers. And you could see if you're tailoring your business to what your customers want, of course, you're going to be more successful. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. This was like, absolutely. You know, because I think, I'm trying to understand why. And I just, I think people that are um, highly emotional intelligent appreciate how people interact with emotions. And I think they are Mm -hmm. better listeners. They Mm -hmm. are open to communication. And I think just the next step is much easier Is well, I'm much more sympathetic or empathetic to my customers. I want to understand them more. Uh, I think it's, to me, it seems like just part of that overall personality. And I, I can't agree more. I mean, yes, we do. We send out a net promoter score on, you know, Quite often, and that gives us a barometer of where we are. Uh, and net promoter score is basically just asking the question uh, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend this business to a friend or colleague? The higher, you know, if they're nine or tens, they're very likely. Um, there's a formula. It's a very objective way of, of just telling how loyal your clients are. And it's a great metric, but you really get the insights when you talk to people. And and in fact, we're doing that right now. We have about 30 clients that random clients that we are having one-on-one interviews with to get some insights from them. If you're really, truly customer centric, you need to be talking to your customers all the time.
1: Yeah. And, and from a place of real uh, inquiry and not from, I'm going to talk to them, I'm just going to defend everything that they're complaining about. Like, no, (laughs) circle it back. Yep. Think about that vulnerability. Think about this is just, this is feedback. This is information. This isn't personal. It might be personal because it's your business, but you have to have a vested interest in listening to your clients because ultimately they they can walk away. They don't really have a reason to stick with you much as we might think they do. They could easily go to somebody 100%. else. So,
0: And what you said, I think is spot on is that so many of us in, in business, we look at what our competitors are doing and then try to do the same thing. I argue that if mm-hmm. you're very, if you're very good at listening to your customers and responsive to them, you don't even have to yeah. worry about your competition because the ability yeah. to listen and act upon what you've learned is so rare. It's so so rare that to me, right there, is your hugest competitive advantage.
1: Definitely.
0: Excellent articles. I love them. Let's let's do our wins and fails. Okay. So, My Fail is an article that just I saw this week. This sort of got into uh, culture and, and behavior. And it's an article that uh, came from Business Insider, uh, dated November 7th. And the title is, and the title just says it all. I don't have to really talk a lot about it. It's based on the company Yelp, who does the uh, reviews of, of restaurants primarily and any businesses. Heavy drinking, sex tapes, and a pyramid scheme. Yelp insiders speak out about the company's high-pressure sales culture, and it's it's a long title, but it pretty well sums it up. And you just read the article, and you're like, "Oh my, how it's like." Sorted. How does this happen? Right. Yeah. Like in, in 2020, this is okay. Like literally, like people are taking sex tapes of managers and then sharing them in the office. Or, wow. And it's, yeah. You're reading this like, no, this is not real. This is not real. And, you know, people would defraud their employer. Like they would sign up new businesses using their own credit cards and then cancel it right away and and then pocket the commission as a successful sale and you know so yes yelp is firing people and says they have no tolerance for all this behavior but they get it from somewhere so Mm -hmm. that was my fail yes what's your fail
1: okay my fail is uh and again the headline kind of says it all 51 percent is the number of Facebook employees who believe that the social network is having a positive impact on the world. So that means 49% of employees don't believe that their employer, the social network Facebook, is having a positive impact on the world. I'm trying to like wrap my mind around this. And they talk in this article about how the censorship or the the slowness that Facebook has has demonstrated in censoring questionable content or fake or lying or incendiary content has really uh, contributed to that. And, you know, you think about what Facebook's motivation is in not doing that kind of censorship, and you're like, okay, what are the priorities here, really? Yep. Uh, and I I just thought it was it was flabbergasting. You know, we do employee engagement surveys, and one of the questions is. Do you think that um, our company has uh, a positive impact on our client and patients' lives? And it's usually the highest scoring question that we have on every single survey we've done. So to have half of your staff think that your company doesn't have a positive impact, that's just sad.
0: Some of the comments now, and the comparison I've been hearing lately is, you know, the big uh, social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, are the new big tobacco You know, Mm -hmm. that their influence on society is that bad. And it's just whatever they can do to make money.
1: It's gross. And I have to admit, I uninstalled, I didn't dump it totally, but I uninstalled the Facebook app app off my phone because I was like, this is not contributing to my Mm well-being in any way. You know, A, it's all ads. It's they target things that they, quote unquote, think you'll like. And it's like, this isn't, can I just see somebody's new puppy? Like, Mm -hmm. that's all I want to see. I don't want to see all this other crap just social media fatigue and the comments on public postings are just, I don't need to be reminded that those types of people exist (laughs) in the world. So yeah, that's a really, I like that analogy.
0: It's funny you bring that up. I'm finding myself lately that I'd say you should go on Facebook, see what's going on because it just, it's almost like it's becoming this own built-in repellent. It's like, I don't want to go into a smoky restaurant. I don't want to go into Facebook.
1: And I, it's funny, last week I was Googling whether I can like shut the comments off on Twitter. So I'm not tempted to like click on them and read them because Twitter is like cesspoolville for yeah. terrible comments. Yeah. And I'm like, I, uh, th- maybe this is why I wake up at three in the morning every day, because I'm worried about these people. <laughs> maybe I should stop. <laughs> like, I like the information, but I don't, I don't need to read these, these comments where you're just like despairing for humanity. Anyway, on to positives. Tell me your positive.
0: Yeah, my positive <laughs> is, and I'm not being political on all of this, is my big win of the week, and I've got a personal relationship to this, is a uh, Vice President of the United States nominated Kamala Harris. And the reason why I bring this up is a little known fact, outside of a small group of us in Montreal, she went to the same high school as I did when I was going there. So I was a year ahead really? of her. Yeah, so her mom huh. was a cancer researcher, single mom. So Kamala and her sister lived in Montreal, and so she, I was in grade eleven, she was in grade ten, and you know it's one of those things. If I didn't know who she was, I would have like, yeah, I don't remember her. But right. you know, since this has started, there's been pictures, like I was very involved in theater, so a lot of us in the talent shows, and the pictures are showing up. Like I know exactly who she is. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can sort of say, uh, "Hey, I've shared the stage with the uh, Vice President that's of the United cool. States." Um, yeah, nice. But what really? It,
1: What's your excuse? You to be the Vice yeah. President?
0: Well, that's what I'm getting <laughs> to. That's what I think is so exciting is, a we had a really unique high school uh, for the time, very multiracial, but really harmonious, and it was just, uh, it was just a bazaar of just different people. And it was amazing. So that gives me confidence in the kind, cause that's, that kind of school gave me a, a really great positive outlook on the world and the possibilities. But what I like, I'm reading, you know, some of the newspapers from Montreal and they're interviewing students at the, at the high school now, and they're just young women and young men are just blown away that somebody from that school is the vice president candidate. And I've talked to a few mothers lately and just saying how their daughters are just so happy to see that Kamala is in that position and, you know, people of color and different ethnicities. And it just, it really demonstrates, yes, we can do things. So that, that is my, my huge win of of the week. So that's a little local and personal flavor. She wouldn't know me if she ran into me, but back then, back in the day, it was, it was, it was neat to know that. Mm,
1: That is cool. Hmm, Look at that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just went to the high school that like famous comedians went to.
0: I was just going to say now we have to go who is the bigger graduate of my high school? Leonard Cohen, William Shatner, or Kamala Harris?
1: Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say
0: Yeah, Kamala. I think nowadays, yeah.
1: <laughs> I just have comedians. Yeah. Uh okay. So, my Win started as a fail and morphed its way into a win and also a bonus cautionary tale. So it's a whole little uh, drama. So uh, earlier this week, uh, CBC News here in Canada broke the story that Whole Foods, which is uh, some people call it Whole Paycheck. It's like a um, high end grocery store with organic stuff and vegan stuff and all that kind of good stuff they basically put out a memo saying that people could not wear any kind of ornament on their uniform that might be seen as political. So that would include, you know, um, in the U S political type stickers or buttons uh, or religious symbols, things like that. So naturally that extended to the poppy up here in Canada. So um, today's November 11th, it's remembrance day Uh, up in Canada. We uh, do poppies that are sold by the legion that are you know fundraisers for um for veterans and for causes like that and it's just it's a part of canadian culture you know in november you get your poppy and you wear your poppy and you lose your poppy and then you get another poppy uh so to have whole food saying that employees aren't allowed to wear poppies is like instant outrage and it was uh one woman in uh, i think a store in ottawa who blew the whistle and told cbc hey they're telling us that we're not supposed to wear poppies I mean, it wasn't specifically that they weren't supposed to wear poppies but it was covered by this this memo or this policy that they had uh so there was a mega uproar i think it lasted maybe 24 hours of that but then whole foods uh, went back and said oh of course we, you can wear poppies and we never intended disrespect and you know it's just you know in the political climate we just would rather employees didn't express political views through these types of things so Turn into a positive Whole Foods is fine. A lot of people are mad, uh, probably will still be mad. But I think the cautionary tale in this is that you kind of have to read the room a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Whole Foods, it's an American company, mm-hmm. they put out this blanket policy without, you know, checking with uh, the guy who lives upstairs being Canada, not a, not any religious figure, but, you know, the, the apartment above the US and, uh, you know, check to be sure that this is going to be something that's accepted or not. So, I think it's important when we make policy changes that we really read the room and make sure that we're not going to have unintended consequences. Because this is some very terrible press oh, yeah. for Whole Foods.
0: That was pretty well a national uproar.
1: Yes. Yeah. If I don't, there's nobody that would disagree. <laughs> I don't think uh, with being angry at that. So anyway, it ended up positive. Yeah.
0: And that's no fine. great. That's all I got. Well, that's 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 enough. So, Katie, thank you very much. We'll be back in two weeks. Again, any questions, any thoughts, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, info at oculusinsights.net, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care, everybody. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.